This episode of Ion Horror includes frank discussions about films which deal with sexual assault. Listeners who are triggered by content like this may want to skip it. If you want to hear us catch up and hang out, you're safe until about 16 minutes into the episode. That's where the heavy stuff starts. We hope you'll join us, but we'll understand if you don't. And we here at the iHorror Podcast Network want to reiterate our stance that we condemn all abuse, we stand with survivors, that no film or art is worth supporting abusers, and of course, in light of recent news and allegations, we'd also like to say, fuck you, Richard Stanley. Welcome to Eye on Horror, the official podcast of iHorror.com. This is episode 63, otherwise known as season four, episode six. Uh, I am your host, James J. Edwards, and with me, as always, is your other host, Jacob Davidson. How are you doing, Jacob? Doing good. Um, sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought. Still waking up. <laughs> All right. I, th- I think we're all still waking up. Uh, also with us, as always, is your other other host, John Korea. What's going on, Korea? You waking up? Uh, yeah, a bit, uh, a bit better. I got my energy drink on one side and a protein thing on the other. We uh, we're moving into the new place. So I'm I'm, you know, calling in from uh, from the new uh, apartment now. I'm dead tired though we've been moving for days now and then today's the final push slash cleaning sesh so you know it was fun scrubbing a carpet by hand at midnight last night for an hour wow there's a reason we're coming at you early although even though this is the same time that we record every episode uh we have with us special guests this week from the uh the the worst coast not the best coast (laughs) uh Wow. From from three hours in the future, uh, we have Kelly and Bree from Murmurs from the Morgue back again. How are you guys doing? Hello, Fantastic. Hello. hello. This makes the third time Kelly's been a guest and the second time for Bree. So Bree joins the exclusive two-timers club. Kelly takes the lead as a three-piece. Yes, I got it. Which has Waylon really upset because he <laughs> thinks that he should be a four-timer because we had a couple false starts with him, but... We go by published episodes, not recorded episodes. <laughs> so Kelly's our Steve Martin to our SNL. Yes. <laughs> I'll take it. That's great. I love it. Can you play the banjo, though? <laughs> uh, give me a year and I'll figure it out. Okay. In a year, <laughs> in a year we're going to hold you to it. And my banjo solo on <laughs> I Am Water. Oh, I really do love his bluegrass music, though. Like those. Oh, yeah. No, he's so good. <laughs> He's a pretty badass musician. A lot of people don't know that, but he's uh, he's a hardcore musician. Oh, yeah. We're going to do a real quick what have you been doing because we have a dense topic, which we will get into uh, in a few. But for now, let's uh, let's what have you guys been doing? What have you guys been watching? Anything good? I, I'll go first. I watched and, and I, I know Jacob did as well. The Block Island Sound on Netflix and I think Jacob and I disagree on it. Yeah, we, we're coming from two different worlds on this, literally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I've never you know, been to New England, really. The closest I think I've been to New England is Pittsburgh. But um, I thought it was a mess of a movie. I, I, it just, I couldn't, it's not that I couldn't wrap my head around it. It just didn't make any sense to me. And, and it, at some point, I feel like 
the filmmakers knew that it wasn't going to make any sense because I feel like there's a tacked on exposition character. And Jacob, I knows who I'm talking about the, at, at one point the the sister goes to see a guy, which, you know, he's there to explain what's going on. And I even think that fails. I don't know. I just think it's a muddled mess of a movie. It didn't make much sense. Defend it, Jacob. <laughs> well, I think it really captured kind of that new England cosmic horror kind of style. And like, uh, but was it uh sea or sea legends you know like yeah it was like the supernatural uh and also it did kind of genuinely feel like uh you know like the new england fishing town uh with like surly characters um and also although i just loved it because there is a scene where a character asked for a platter so that they kind of brought me back, but uh, you know, I, I mean, it was, I didn't think it was great, but I thought it was pretty. I thought it was pretty good, though. Like you know, kind of, I thought it was an interesting blend of, like I said, you know, kind of cosmic horror, but it also has this kind of uh, small New England town drama with like the character, like the lead character dealing with like the death of his father and like his family's falling apart, and 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 you know, just kind of on top of that, the whole Block Island sound thing. So. Uh, I think also just kind of made me homesick. I will admit the way that they dealt with the dead father um, was pretty creepy. The way that he would just keep yeah. popping up in places that that was pretty effective. But I think it it see, that's another thing that lost me. You say that it, it's like cosmic horror, but I thought it was kind of grounded in reality until certain things would happen. And it's like it didn't know if it wanted to be cosmic or reality based. It, you know, it didn't know if it wanted to be fantastic or uncanny i guess are the two things i don't know i think it was just trying to be kind of ambiguous or you know just kind of just kind of go and into uh some different styles um well if if ambiguity was the goal i I guess they succeeded because it left me scratching my head (laughs) got a great title though yeah yeah also, Block Island. Uh, Block Island is a very, very lovely place. I've, I've been there a few times. Um, it's an uh, island off the coast of Rhode Island. Did the Perfect Storm make you homesick too? You probably lived there when the Perfect Storm came out. Uh, no. I, well, I, that's well, that's the thing. My uh, I got family who lives in uh, Gloucester or Gloucester now. Yeah, and that's where uh, it, it took place and it was kind of based upon. <laughs> Funny story, I actually got my picture taken with uh, one of the corpses from A Perfect Storm. Like, there's a pl- there's like a booth where like they've got on display. Wow. Perfect Storm for me nails that whole New England fisherman thing. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But this is coming from someone who knows nothing about New England fishermen. I just, all <laughs> I know about it is The Perfect Storm, so of course it nails it. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Although, uh, I had to be honest, I grew up inland. I can tell you right now, uh, blow the man down captures yeah. small town New England yes. absolutely perfectly. <laughs> so if, good. If you want to watch a super New England uh, movie, blow the man down, or even the lighthouse. There's there's uh, there's oh, a lot yeah. of people oh. like that in New England. Just oh, extremely <laughs> weird. So a lot of Willem Dafoe's <laughs> and a whole lot of Robert Pattinson's talking like a Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did I do a decent Kennedy? No, I didn't. Let's be honest. Yeah, I grew up in Brookline, which is Kennedy country and where Conan's from. Ooh. Yeah. What else have everybody been watching? Anything good? I watched a couple of new things I liked. Um, uh, so like this week, uh, two new movies, uh, two new horror movies came out uh, that I that really dug. Uh, first off, uh, Ben David Grabinski's Happily. Uh, that that was pretty interesting. It's it's like this. It's set up kind of like a rom-com or like a. Uh, I don't know, like a relationship dramedy type thing with um, Carrie Beach. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was Carrie Beach and Joe uh, Joe McHale. Jo- McHale. Uh, yeah. Carrie Beach and Joe McHale play this couple that have been married for 14 years and they are still madly, madly in love to the point where they irritate their kind of high end L.A. friends, including Paul Shear. Uh, and then Stephen Root shows up one day as kind of like this mystery man who says he's been sent by somebody to rectify their marriage because they're so happy it's unnatural and he wants to inject them with something and uh, things start to go off the rails and crazy and uh, Joe McHale and Carrie Beach's characters uh, go to like this couple's retreat at this fancy high-tech house and yeah it was very interesting like it was yeah, was, like I said, you know, it was kind of cross genre, but uh, it was very well written. Like I loved uh, kind of the character interactions and the, and the dialogue. Um, I love that director's name, Ben David, like one yeah. word, Ben David. That's, yeah. gr- that's a great name. <laughs> ben David Grab- Grabinski. Yeah, he also did that uh, Are You the F- Afraid of the Dark reboot uh, from a couple years ago. Which was phenomenal. Oh, yeah, it was Ooh. awesome. But um, yeah, happ- so yeah, Happily was cool. And uh, this just dropped on Shudder. Um, Slacks with two X's. Yes. Tell us about Slacks. Oh, Slacks. Uh, yeah, it's the <laughs> AK, the movie about killer jeans. Yeah. And yeah. it actually was a lot more than that. Uh, basically, it takes place at this, you know, one of those kind of West Hollywood, Beverly Hills, high end uh, clothing stores where they're releasing new uh jeans like super like top of the line form fitting anyone can wear them uh made from high-end cotton material uh jeans and like the company uh also like uh just uh, keeps on going on about how they're uh you know humanitarian and like they're they're charitable but like everybody who works there and a lot of people who go to the store are kind of uh the worst well no they're well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, and part coerced, but like some of them are just like really. Uh... Oh, no, sorry, I said the worst. The people oh, the that work there. Yeah, the oh, people that work there said, are kind of the oh, worst. Oh, I thought you said coerced. Uh, oh, yeah, no, no, no. they're. They are uh, the worst. That sums it up better. I was going to say uh, jerks, but the worst is better because, yeah. yeah, they're all very. Uh, just kind of narcissistic and up their own asses, uh, except for like the new hires, kind of naive. And, uh, and, and yeah, so. And so, yeah, like one of the pants literally just comes to life and starts knocking off the people working at the store one by one and increasingly gory and uh, like very creative ways. Like uh, what like one of my favorites was like uh, like uh, one of the clerks steals the pants to wear them for herself and the waistline starts getting tighter and tighter until like she snaps in half. And (laughs) yeah, no, and I really got to give the movie credit because the effects are a pretty good blend of kind of practical and CGI. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it was kind of hard to tell between the two, but it's also because like they do kind of puppeteer the pan. So like, it looks like it has a face in some scenes or like, it looks like the uh, waistline is chomping at people. Yeah. yeah. And actually the effects were done by uh I forget the name of the of the company, but they did the effects for Turbo Kid, they did the effects for Blood Quantum. Oh yeah, it's it's from the producers of Turbo Kid Amazing. as well. So it's like it's got that very oh, right. kind it's a, of and it's a Canadian it is movie. Canadian. Yeah, yeah. So it's got yeah. that super, super sort of like cheeky, very fun, um, but at the same time, like really talking about that sort of conspicuously ethical 
uh, practices that a lot of businesses have where it's like, you're, are you really all that ethical? Or are you just pretending to be that ethical for mm-hmm. the sake of like people coming in? And yeah, I really liked that one. I, I think I did a review for that one on iHorror if anyone wants to check that out. Oh, and I also did a review for Happily on iHorror if you want to check that out too. But yeah, I, w- I will say though, I did, yeah, did not expect um, a movie about killer uh, pants to be so deep. Like yeah. it actually touched on some pretty <laughs> uh, hot button issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sounds a lot like uh, that. A twenty four put out a movie not too long ago about uh, a dress that in, in fabric. fabric. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, that's a, yeah. It's it's very much like that. Yeah, that, I need to watch that one. They kind of dumped. Like I don't even think that one has like a physical release anywhere. Uh, yeah. Actually, yeah, it does have a Blu ray. It does. Okay, because uh, I it was just released like so under the radar. I don't think anybody really knew. Yeah, I got that one digitally, so that would make for a good double feature. I think maybe it really <laughs> yes. would. For killer sure. dress, yeah. oh, killer slacks. Uh, would it be a whole lot of the same movie, though? Uh, no, they're pretty different. Like, yeah, uh, in fabric is kind of like Euro, like surrealist, uh, while it, while slacks is like almost a straight up slasher or monster movie. But it's jeans. Just killer outfit day, you know, put on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 All we fashion. need is a movie about a killer hat and killer shoes. Yeah. <laughs> and we can complete the ensemble. <laughs> I definitely feel that there is a killer hat movie out there. Yes. Probably. If not, someone needs to get on that immediately. I mean, there's right. a killer there's a killer <laughs> bed movie. Deathbed. True. Bed, bed oh, yes. Deathbed. Yeah, Patton Oswald had a whole set about it. Yeah, there's Bed of the Dead as well, which is a Canadian one, too, that they uh, also have. Ooh. There's multiple killer bed movies. There's multiple killer bed movies. Oh yeah. yeah. And none are by the asylum. <laughs> Moments like this where I both absolutely love and hate our genre is that <laughs> that, that, set, that line can happen. Just there's multiple killer bed movies made by yeah. people and not, no sequel. Okay. There's also two. There's at least two killer refrigerator movies, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jesus. And don't even get us started on killer cars. <laughs> oh, yeah, hey, hey the car is one dozens. of the best Jaws ripoffs of all time. <laughs> and, it, and it did it by combining with Steven's by ripping off Steven Spielberg's other movie, Duel. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Wow. And it's not even the best known killer car movie because, of course, we've got Christine. And so. Maximum Overdrive. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen King even ripped himself <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, but did Christine have the Green Goblin face on it? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. But did the Green Goblin truck catch on fire and chase a guy down a down a street? Uh, not really. Just that scene where Christine's going down that narrow alleyway. It's just oh, yeah. it's just yeah. so angry. I love it so much. Ugh. And then she catches the guy and she can't get to him. And he's like, oh, ah, fuck you. And then just destroys herself. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, fuck yeah. you. Such a beautiful scene. That's a car yes. with tood. <laughs> yeah but just it, it's just we we need to come up with like a compendium of of different inanimate objects turned animate that have been made into horror movies because you know because yeah like jonathan was making you can look at mm-hmm. the genre and i you know just so many different things that uh that come to life and try to kill you like uh yeah. dolls tomatoes uh, TVs. tires <laughs> oh yeah tires yeah. <laughs> that list would be endless though if you were to create such a list Oh, uh, there's a killer sofa movie. Uh, I'm sure there's a couple of killer chair moves. And there's a killer like washing machine one, too, I oh, think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a couple. 
That's oh, com- on computers. So many killer computers. Oh, yeah. Oh, lots of, That'll yeah. be my next list sure. idea. Killer phones. Yeah, just <laughs> killer houses. Art, killer art. Yeah, just, you know, yeah. just if you think about it, just anything could kill you, I guess. <laughs> if it was right. possessed by a ghost or a serial killer or you yeah. know, whatever. <laughs> if the horror genre has taught us anything, it's that everything and anything can kill you. <laughs> Which is true. Yeah. <laughs> do we have any more uh, new watches we want to talk about or do, or do we want to just jump right into our topic, which is going to be de- I, the only other thing I've watched is in preparation for our topic. Mm-hmm. Anybody else want to talk about anything that's not pertaining to the topic? Speak now or we're moving on. So Mama Mia, here we go again, is like <laughs> the Magic Mike double XL of, of <laughs> musicals based on ABBA songbook. That's all I wanted to say. Sure. Okay, so the reason this is a crossover with Murmurs from the Morgue is because this topic is so deep, we're going to carry it on to their podcast. This is a two-parter, and yes, you have to listen to Murmurs from the Morgue to hear the second part. And Murmurs from the Morgue listeners have to listen to us to hear the first part. <laughs> but uh, basically, we and the start is a discussion. Oh, it might have even been months ago. I know it's at least weeks between the five of us mm-hmm. about basically it started... After we all saw St. Maud, mm-hmm. or most of us saw St. Maud, have we all seen St. Maud at this point? Yep. Okay, good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Awesome. It started, we were discussing the difference between St. Between Maud, which was directed by a woman, and something like The Exorcist, which wasn't, which is real religious horror And we started kind of talking about the differences between the male and female gaze. And on this, on, on Ion Horror's half of this uh, topic, we're going to mainly discuss the rape revenge films because- I think that we need a whole episode for that. And then we'll continue on Murmurs in the Morgue. Clearly, I Spit on Your Grave is the rape revenge film. And then we've got Promising Young Woman, directed by a woman. And also, this is what I watched to prepare for this, MFA. This is on Kelly's recommendation. And I almost think MFA is a better parallel. MFA, to me, could be Promising Young Woman with just a little more crazy, Mm. (laughs) honestly. Because Mm. both of the quote protagonists because they're not good people, but they're the heroes um, are crazy. But I think MFA, she takes it a little further, but let's get this started by just talking about the differences in the actual rape scene. I spit on your grave has, and I spit on your grave is clearly a female empowerment mm-hmm. movie. I mean, there's no, mm-hmm. there, there's no, I mean, there's no, you know, ifs, ands, or buts about that, but the actual rape scene is so uncomfortable. It's not, fetishized at all but it is first you know it's a gang rape scene she gets raped by these four guys in the middle of the woods and then they leave her there so she walks home naked in the middle of the woods and the scene takes like 15 minutes to unfold and then she walks home and they're waiting for her at home for another 15 minutes Mm -hmm. you're like no Mm -hmm. just let this poor girl i mean it's it's i understand the filmmaker is trying to generate anger which it totally does because anything that the girl does after that to these guys is justified because of this ordeal she's been Mm -hmm. through but it is so graphic and so like i said not fetishized but it is um and it's in no way glamorized but it is definitely from the male perspective and then in mfa the rape scene you know we should have said this earlier but there needs to be trigger warnings mm-hmm. all over this mm-hmm. whole episode because we're talking about mm-hmm. stuff that could be triggering. So if that's you, mm-hmm. you may want to skip this one, but I hope you don't because I think we're going to have a lot of cool stuff to say, um, but you may be triggered. 
And also, we're going to be talking about a lot of spoilers. Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. They're necessary, <laughs> but we'll try not to spoil anything that is too that 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 is too surprising. I mean, like clearly, there's going to be a rape in MFA because that's the crux of the movie. That's the inciting incident, and the way it's handled by the director of MFA and. Her name is slipping my mind. Natalia Leet, L-E-I-T-E. So I don't know how to pronounce that. The way she handles it is at first you think that it is just going to be just a brutal rape scene um, with this guy just, you know, assaulting this girl. But then they do weird things with the sound. It's like the sound all gets muted. Mm-hmm. And there's almost this ringing in the ears and it focuses on the girl's face. You, you know what's happening to her in the rest of the room, but it. It's from it's definitely from her point of view. And it is I I got the impression that it was taking you out of her body, like the same thing she was probably doing to get through it herself. She's going to another place and that's where you went. And I thought it was so interesting that it didn't have to show. And it was just as effective Mm -hmm. at getting you angry at this guy as I spit on your grave. But it was not as for lack of a better term, not as graphic. It still is angering, but it's not as exploitational. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. A thing to keep in mind also is that MFA came out in like 2017, I think, or 2017. Yeah. 2017. And I spit on your grave came out in 1971, I believe. So there are like just going to be those cultural differences. Um, I Another thing I think is interesting about those two movies specifically is that in I Spit on Your Grave, the people who are committing these atrocities are just like these neighborhood boys. They're kind of like, you know, ruffians. Yeah. Uh, whereas in MFA, it's like an, a guy that the main character actually almost had a relationship with. She was like kind of close to him. And it was really just um, a miscommunication and uh, a situation that got out of control that could very easily happen to anyone. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that is really effective about MFA is, again, it's someone she knows, which statistically that's more likely to happen. And also the rape is really aggressive, but it's not violent. It's something that he doesn't realize, like he should realize because she's saying no and she's saying stop. But he thinks that this is all fine. She confronts him afterwards and he doesn't realize that what he did was a horrible, horrible thing. Um, well, to stop you there, uh, sorry, but yeah. the, in my opinion, the rape was kind of violent because he's not only just sexually assaulting her against her will, but he's like throwing her. That's right. He's like physically like, manipulating kind of, her, like, yeah. pulling her hair yeah, and like, true. yeah, mm-hmm. in a very aggressive way. So it's not like ba- like gang rape yeah. level of violence, yeah. but it was pretty violent in my opinion. He's not like punching her in the face or anything, yeah. but you're right. He yeah. is throwing her around. He's pinning her down. He's pulling mm-hmm. her hair. He's kind of shoving her face into the bed kind of, th- I mean, he, it mm-hmm. is. It's aggressive. Yeah. 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 It's, it's not nice, sweet lovemaking. It is. No. <laughs> it is a, it's an assault. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I think the interesting thing as well with I Spit on Your Grave is uh, I can never pronounce his name correctly, but Myers Archie, uh, he mm-hmm. created the movie based on own, his own experience where he was walking home yes. and he encountered mm-hmm. a young woman that had just been assaulted and she was brutally, brutally assaulted. He took her to the police and they kept asking her these questions about what happened to her while her jaw was broken. And he was trying to convince them, like, please just take her to the hospital. Let's get this taken care of. We need to get her taken care of. And uh, so he was he was inspired to create this movie based on that experience and, and how horrific it was and how awful it was. And he really wanted to uh, have something that would that 
would, um, you know, not necessarily be it would be it would be sort of empowering, I guess. Mm. It's a, it is a feminist film, really. I'm glad you brought that up, Kelly, because we're not here to just like bash men filmmakers mm-hmm. and be like, you know, women rule, boys drool. Yeah. Um, I do. In my opinion, as a female and watching I Spit on Your Grave, I actually kind of liked it other than the fact that it was disturbing me the entire time. I did think that it really did like come from a place of concern for women. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it is a little reactionary, but I do think that the filmmaker like clearly had respect for women or at least because of that situation. He was like, holy shit women actually experience horrible things. Mm. Yeah, he, he definitely, I mean, he, he is coming from the right place. The thing is, I, the differences in approach of the actual rape, like the, the differences in the way the filmmakers emotionally manipulate the audience to get on board with these what, revenge seekers, I guess, is worlds different. I mean, it, the, the male gaze, he just hits you over the head with it where it's much more subtle, but just as powerful. With the female game. And you see that in Jennifer Kent's uh, The Nightingale as well, because during, oh my God. Oh, yeah. it's even more so in The Nightingale. Because during that yeah. scene, uh, it's all mm-hmm. the uh, focus is also just on her face and she checks out. And then while it's happening, you it cuts to kind of like the sky. It's almost like you're taking her perspective and putting you in her position. Whereas like a lot of uh, older rape revenge movies, uh, there's times where like how it's filmed and where the camera angles are and stuff. It almost feels like you're uh, the assailant, which can be very powerful in that it's putting you in this position that you don't want to be. Cause I, I don't think there's really anyone who's watching these movies rooting for anyone other than, other than mm-hmm. the survivor yeah. and just them getting out of it. You know, mm-hmm. no one gets mm-hmm. titillated by I spit on your grave. I hope not. For, yeah. No, yeah, well, you've got really problems if you not. do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so on that subject as well, I going back to that, there is like just this huge gap in time. I also want to bring up that like in the 70s, um, that was also around the time that uh, war footage started being shown on television. So I feel that it is related in a way that it's like these are this is what's happening in the world. These are the atrocities that are happening. You're seeing it on your TV. You're seeing it in your movies. Um, it's all related. And so I think that was kind of not that I'm like defending it or anything, but I think it was just kind of like one, a stylistic thing. And two, like the filmmaker kind of being like, this is a horrible thing. So you should see it mm-hmm. on, the, and on that. I, I think uh, we should also talk about kind of the presentation because I uh, just, as an additional thing, I, I, I do like to watch the trailers for these movies just to see kind of how they were presented to the public. And, you know, you watch the, I spend on your grave trailer and, because I feel like, yeah, it was just kind of being a product of its time. It was kind of uh, presented in that kind of grindhouse manner where, well, you know, you know, especially back then, you know, they kind of have to tell the whole movie to sell the movie in the 70s because there wasn't really much other way to sell it. But, yeah, just that it's. Yeah, you know, like it has this narrator who talks about like this woman was attacked and assaulted by these four men and now she's going to get them back. And, you know, it just kind of shows and I, I don't remember if it was all of them, but it shows a chunk of them without actually showing the violence that she's like kind of uh, picking them off one by one and kind of leaving some of it to your imagination so that you'll see the movie. So it does kind of have that um, 
kind of grindhouse exploitation film aesthetic when uh, being marketed. And then you compare it to trailers uh, for, you know, modern day movies like, you know, going back on it, the Nightingale, which uh, is more because Jennifer Kent, it's and the subject matter, it's kind of presented a more uh, high end manner. It's like it is, this is not by any means exploitation or grindhouse. It's you know, got a, like a higher tier. The poster for I Spit on Your Grave, I'm going to read the tagline right here. It says, this woman has just chopped, crippled, and mutilated four men beyond recognition, but no jury in America would ever convict her. Oh, yeah, they use that in the trailer, too. Yeah, it tells you right there. It's like, okay, this woman is going to do all this shit, and she's justified. Mm. And, yeah. and I think that mm. that's part of why they make the rape scene so graphic is because you have to justify. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way I think that at least back then, that's, that's the way that I think the man justified it just by making it, he was thinking like a man. He's like, let's make this as brutal as possible. Whereas, I mean, I I still can't get over how effective that scene in MFA was. I mean, it haunts me. Mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, Related also to that. um, Another difference that I noticed is considering what you just said about that being justified in a lot of the women directed rape revenge films. I feel like the police were a huge mm-hmm. presence in them. Yeah. Like the main character was always evading the police. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like showing like, Oh, men are not going to be punished for their crimes, but women are going to be punished when they like retaliate. Whereas like when men tell these stories, it's almost like this fantasy of the women, like, being able to get away with that, whatever she wants. Well, that was a common theme in Promising Young Woman and MFA was like they tried to go by the actual, you know, legal channels and they were shunned. So they're like, I'll screw mm-hmm. it. I'll do it myself, you know? Yeah, I guess mm-hmm. it's to highlight a broken system. And yeah, uh, back on, exactly. on the Nightingale, like the her rapists were uh soldiers and and the constable or so it's and Mm -hmm. when she goes to his commanding officer like he like he doesn't really do anything about it and no and because he's an officer and uh she's uh a convict and an irish convict at that like uh nobody uh, nobody would really care so it so yeah a lot of Mm -hmm. these films kind of highlight the uh systemic failures and abuses that uh come with these Mm -hmm. and wasn't one of the rapists in the i spit on your grave remake a cop uh yeah it was a sheriff yeah yeah so so i mean and and that one i mean that was 30 years later Mm -hmm. what do you guys think about the remake uh um i didn't watch the remake i'll be honest (laughs) and i was fine with it um you know it, it was i think it was a little unnecessary but i mean i i was okay with it you know, it's it's not as shocking as the original, but part of that is, like you said, the time period when you, you're you're looking at it, you're like, oh, this is 1978. You know, how they get away with this? And that's the answer to the question. It was 1978. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, I think again, going back to that idea that um, particularly in in rape revenge films that are directed by women that the authorities are kind of absent or even just sort of halting progress in a lot of ways. They're complicit, right. you know, in some of them. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it becomes a problem for women themselves to solve. And it's about it becomes about taking that control back. Whereas I think there's some I can't remember the name of it, but I know that there have been a few uh, rape revenge films where it focuses heavily on the justice system 
there's mm-hmm. one that's really just a court procedural that is about like the aftermath of this raping going through the court process. And in the end, justice wins and it's great, but it sort of pulls back when you're, um, I forget the name of the movie and it's going to drive me crazy now, but when the film ends there, it ends with a, a pullback shot on the courthouse. So the focus is on justice and on the courthouse and on that winning. Whereas in other films, mm-hmm. when it pulls back, the focus is on the woman and, and her justice that, she, that she's found for herself. Um, so there's a female self-sufficiency that can be found in, in rape revenge films, I think. That's one of the things, because uh, we've talked about it before, Promising a Woman is one of my favorite movies of the year. Like mm. uh, In recent time, really, I've already watched it about two or three times. And all of these themes are coming up, especially the failed system. And uh, a lot of Promising a Woman is about uh, her addiction to control like that's what she's doing with these uh, men when she's going back to the place she's not killing any of them she's just kind of like putting them back in her place becoming the person in control and one of the unique things about that film compared to all these is there is no scene uh, there is no scene of the act uh, it wasn't even mm-hmm. her it was her friend um, they do have audio play of it later on but you don't see it the character watches it and mm-hmm. I thought that was uh, it's so powerful because one of my biggest things is we already know these acts are terrible. We already know this is a bad thing. We don't need. I, I always find it uh, so lazy when filmmakers say, "Well, I'm doing this because you know, because pe- so people know it's bad." We already know it's bad. You need more. You need other motivation to it. But do they? <laughs> like it's happening so much. So like clearly, some people don't realize like that it is bad which is something that is mentioned in MFA. Like when the main character confronts her rapist, he's like, um, nothing really happened. Yeah, exactly. What are you like freaking out about? I would say that's that's different because that's showing, you know, it's, it's like we already know that if you go out in a van and kidnap a random person and commit that type of act, we, we already know that's bad. But those gray area things, that definitely needs to be talked about that. Like, you know, uh, oh, well, I, you know, we had a few drinks and it, it wasn't mm. until it was already happening. So it wasn't, you know, when those mm. like, supposed you know gray areas or things you know that definitely needs to be brought up and stuff kind of along that same you know line of of implied consent we were talking yesterday and i don't think any of us except for maybe kelly has seen this violation Mm -hmm. and waylon was talking about a scene in violation where a woman is she's being assaulted and then she says don't stop and then of course the guy's like don't stop okay i'm on this it so and i don't you can correct me if if the context is wrong on that kelly but that that's just hearing what waylon was saying about it it's almost Mm -hmm. like in these guys minds they twist it they say she said don't stop and i want to talk about straw dogs a little bit too for for that sort of content straw dogs is problematic because the actress in the original not so much in the remake in the original you almost the way Peckinpah directed it, you almost get the impression that she's enjoying this. Yeah. And it's so problematic. You're like, oh, no, this is a, this is another dude's wife. She shouldn't be enjoying this. But if you look at her face and I'm not sure if this was Susan George's, you know, her own interpretation of it or if Peckinpah said, give us a little bit of a, a smile and a moan. I'm uh, I'm sorry to yeah. cut you off, but I mean, yes, no, you're right. Yeah. Straw dogs definitely applies it's here. definitely problematic as well. Like there's a quote from Sam Peckinpah in an interview he did with Playboy that says there are women and there's pussy. So again, not really the best 
person to be. And, and the fact with Straw Dogs as well is that it's not a revenge film for the for the woman. It's a revenge film for the man. Yeah. For the husband. Yeah. For the husband who's like yeah. reclaiming like, no, this was my wife. Like it's 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 a very problematic film, I think. That's another thing I want to talk about that was really popular in the 70s is that there was a lot of movies and that's where the rape, the female rape revenge film came from is that there was a lot of movies specifically like Death Wish and like what you're talking about, where it's about these men living in the city with their families and then some like unnamed assailant like breaks into the dude's house or whatever and rapes and kills his wife. And then he goes out and takes revenge on these people. Um, And that is like, it is kind of a reactionary thing. It's kind of like a racist response to problems in one person's city. Um, And I think it is interesting how that did like how it transferred into the female rape revenge film. Um, So yeah, I do think that is related to the 1970s kind of like racism in the city and to go back to straw dogs especially that that bit where there is that moment of enjoyment i remember in film school we dissected the shit out of it for uh uh, one of my uh women in film classes uh, and the professor was very adamant about it and she goes why do you think that this was included and obviously, after hearing that that quote from uh, Peckinpah, it's a bit hard to it's very hard to defend that. But um, there is bodily reactions um, to when these things happen. And it's something that's especially brought up when uh, men are raped. You know, there's always the line, oh, men can't be raped. Well, with enough stimulation, you know, your body's going to react to things. So sometimes there is that moment in some because, again, different cases you know, things play out differently. Um, And I just remember uh, that the professor didn't defend it, but she said, but we believe this is the, why that choice is happening because sometimes, you know, the body reaction reacts to it. That doesn't mean that she wanted it. And Mm -hmm. that's uh, a big part of that argument too, is that, Oh, well in this moment, this happened. And it's like, well, no. And it's the same with men. You you know, if there's enough Mm -hmm. stimulation, you know, you can get a reaction out of it. And that's, but so the argument that men can't be raped is again, invalid. If someone does not consent to it, they, it's non-consensual. It's, that's very, to put it very simply, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there's, um, speaking of films that are directed by women and I'm going to look up the director's name, but Base Moi, which is a new French extremity film, um, that that one again is about like these women that are taking that control back and, and, the interesting thing about that one that I that I found is during the rape scene, it's two women that are simultaneously being raped. And the one is sort of fighting and, and screaming and, and and putting up on hell of that fight and, and just completely to, to no avail. Whilst the other woman is just like, she just sort of realizes like, there's nothing I can do about this. <laughs> Why fight it? Like, there's nothing I can do in this situation. And it's a really sort of sad and, and interesting sort of play of, of recognizing that power shift and it's upsetting but uh again like the fact that it was uh directed by a woman and she recognizes that like two women two women thank you yes uh let's get their names very french so very i will not be able to help you probably come on canadian <laughs> give us our french uh, pronunciations <laughs> well she's not in uh, french canada <laughs> uh, i'm guessing virginie despent and coralie uh, that's my best uh, French right accent. Be- better than any of us could do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, and I think the interesting thing with that one as well is that they actually used, I think, former porn stars for that. So there is actual penetration in that film as well. 
wow. pulled a Lars von Trier on us. I didn't need to know that. <laughs> yeah. So there's a there's a film that's fun with New French Extremity. Speaking of Lars von Trier, actually, um, going back to the Nightingale, I also wanted to mention the first time I saw the Nightingale, I was kind of surprised at the level of violence and disturbing imagery that was in it, considering that the only film that Jennifer Kent had directed at that point was The Babadook. But I recently found out that Jennifer Kent was actually a student of Lars von Trier, and she was on the production of Dogville, which I think really says a lot about um, that movie specifically. Yeah, and I actually saw it for the first time in in preparation for this. And yeah, no, I I, I was just kind of blown away uh, by uh, just how how intense and visceral it was. And um, yeah, I mean, in, in part, that was uh, why I kind of uh, put it on my watch list for so long. Uh, just, you know, I was kind of I wasn't sure if I, I was prepared, but no, it was a, I mean, it was um, justified in its violence, I think, because, uh, you know, like uh, beyond being a rape revenge movie, it, it is a massive indictment of colonialism. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And there's another layer with the Nightingale. I mean, it goes beyond rape revenge. I mean, there's, oh, yeah. you know, and I don't yeah, want to spoil absolutely. anything, but if you really want to get pissed off. <laughs> it, yeah, there, there's another layer to the Nightingale beyond just the rape revenge. Oh, it, mm-hmm. it deals with that. It deals with indentured slavery. It deals with cultural yeah. Uh, era sure it deals with genocide. genocide like it's it's all these heavy things and done so so well uh but to go back to uh kelly you were saying about that scene where uh one of them uh where it was two women and one gave in uh mm-hmm. i actually used to teach women and children safety classes and mm-hmm. especially with the women's classes we had to talk about these subjects a lot and one of the things that uh, the hardest day of those classes was talking about the situations where you have no other choice but to comply in the moment because your life is on the line. Yeah. And especially I, I was a teenager teaching these classes. So oh being 17 teaching and being the only man in the room, you know, it was always uh, that was those moments were the ones where I took a step back and let you know others in the class uh talk about it because and no one wants to hear a 17 year old man say those things but that was the hardest mm-hmm. lesson to teach was um you know if your life is on the line comply but you know we always had to teach the you know look around you what do they look like what were they wearing try to gather this information and that also sucks uh mm-hmm. because we so much as a culture teach you know don't have too many drinks when you're going out watch what you're wearing it's always the defense uh that we have to put on women to protect this when we're not teaching men just don't do these things yeah, just <laughs> don't rape people yeah just don't do it i remember hearing a um when i was this was years ago decades ago hearing about a rape trial where um the the rapist was caught and he was on trial and the victim w- what happened is um during the rape the victim realized she was going to get raped so she basically talked him into wearing a condom and how she did it is she, mm. she, she supplied him with the condom because she knew she was going to get raped and how she, you know, how she talked him into it is, is she, she goes, well, wear this condom. And he's like, he's like, I don't have AIDS. She goes, how do you know? I don't. And that planted the seed of doubt in his head. So he wore a condom when he raped her. So his defense during trial was it was consent because she gave mm. him the condom and he put it on. And, and of course it, it didn't work. He still got convicted because the woman, she basically used that. She said, she said, I knew this was going to happen. I was just protecting myself from further damage. I, I still said no. 
<laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's one of the interesting things going back to uh, I Spit on Your Grave is that a lot of the concerns and complaints about it being quote unquote exploitative do teen it, it comes more often from men than from women and i think that mm, it's because yeah. those socializers women are raised with this fear and knowledge in a way that men aren't so for us it's still horrible and shocking but we're we're, we're raised with this idea that like this can happen this does happen right so it's exactly yeah yeah heavy topic today guys yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially compared to the last time we had you guys yeah, on, yeah, yeah. We were fantasizing about our fa- about possible crossovers, you know. Yeah, um, you know it, it's funny, and I don't know if you guys see this. Every time I see on the uh, cable guide for Alan versus Pharaoh, I see Alien versus Pharaoh. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, same. I'm like, yeah. what? They made another one? <laughs> oh God. It's me a Pharaoh on a on a ship with uh, xenomorphs. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't know if we're going to wrap up soon, but do we want to discuss the movie Miss 45? Oh, yeah, actually, I was just thinking about that. I'm surprised Korea has not brought it up yet. Let's talk uh. Miss 45. <laughs> well, mm. and, and I and I do think uh, I'm, I'm absolutely loving this discussion because I was uh, one of the ones that was so adamant about, especially talking about Miss 45, because that was a recent first time watch for me. And it left me very angry, um, mostly uh, because one of my biggest issues when it comes to uh, films like the genre or antebellum uh, is the fact that we don't get to know these characters as people before Mm. these acts are committed. And that's my biggest grievance when it comes to these scenes of uh, such extreme violence and such violation is that we don't get to know these people. All we see is a body uh, just getting assaulted and tormented. And with Mm. that, especially in those opening bits, there's a real stripping of humanity even before the act happens. Uh, And it's just a body. And I and and I I, how I feel about it is that it kind of is just it in its own way. It doesn't fetishize it, but it detaches the audience uh, and the viewer from viewing these characters as people. And Miss um, 45 is another one where we almost know nothing about this character. And then she's not only assaulted outside of her house in an alleyway, she's very quickly assaulted as soon as she gets home by another person. And um, I will say after those scenes, the film uh really dives into the effects on her and it does a really great, really fantastic job of iconography with her, with her 45 and the red lipstick and the apple and the <laughs> that she kills the first guy yep. with. Uh, and, and I love that. Uh, but I, I just want to get your guys' opinions on, on that type of uh, lack of character development and not really knowing mm-hmm. who these people like promising young woman does a good job of um, showing uh, bits and pieces of who these people of who uh you know carrie mulligan's character was before the act happened you know there's a lot of talk do they well they there's- i really don't i don't know because i felt like that movie was like really detached from like just telling anything about her backstory even up to her motivations i was confused about which i think was intentional on part of the filmmaking but you know still i think that it was like pretty detached uh yeah i'm gonna agree with brianna on that uh because uh yeah we do because um, yeah we do 
kind of get to know Carrie Mulligan's character, but we don't really get her backstory. Like everything is told secondhand. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. not, you know, as upfront about it. Uh, and yeah, on the subject of Miss 45, like the other big factor is that the character is mute. So yeah. she can't even, yeah. she can't even talk. Yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm. It, and, and I did, and I do feel like she was kind of, um, uh, denigrated even before she was attacked because like in the beginning like the other seamstresses kind of blow her off and like her boss is rude yeah. to her and she and she's mute so like nobody really uh like mm-hmm. cares for her so yeah just and yeah exactly that's the thing like there's not really a lot of character to her so much as like she becomes uh like you know just kind of uh uh, like uh, vengeance uh, itself yeah. and you know goes after these guys it reminds me a lot of a movie that came out around the same time which is more famous uh taxi driver oh uh, yeah, yeah i feel like they're really similar characters and also on the iconography there's also that uh scene where uh she dresses as a nun for halloween i noticed that in a lot of these movies that like before some sort of murder or something the women do don these Halloween costumes, promising young woman, uh, MFA. They're all yeah. wearing costumes. Mm-hmm. What's up with that? <laughs> Maybe it's just kind of a, a way for like masking themselves at, after the assault or like showing a change in their character or possibly assuming a different identity when they do it. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. yeah. I think it's also like, particularly in Ms. 45 and MFA, they kind of find freedom in the murder like the the whole thing with mfa is just this whole side plot of when we first enter the film and we're learning about her as an artist and and everyone's saying like oh it's very um contained it's very censored and then it's not until she starts going around murdering people that her art really starts to flourish and i think with uh with miss 45 as well like she kind of like first off she kills her rapist with an iron which is a tool of her trade so i think that's kind of funny but the fact that the reactive murder turns to proactive murder she's going after men who take it as their due to dominate and abuse women and i think that it's the whole having her mute and not really knowing much about her is kind of a double-edged sword there because on the one hand it allows you as an audience to really sort of slip yourself into that character a little bit more because we're and, and and but at the same time you lose a lot of her character in the process so it is sort of it's it's tricky with that one but fun fact that actress zoe lund she was only 17 at the time that she filmed this oh didn't know that mm-hmm. there's i don't think there's any nudity in the rape scenes is there i don't think um, so. i don't think no so. i don't think so no for Miss Which 45. Maybe, yeah, for Miss 45. Maybe because she was 17, perhaps. Probably. Also, on Brianna's earlier point, like, I feel like Miss 45 also kind of addressed those uh, reactionary ideas from, like, because uh, uh, although that was, although Miss 45 was in the 80s, right? Yeah, 81. Uh, still, it was around the same time period because, like, most of her victims are, uh, you know, like, uh, thugs and like yeah. mm-hmm. uh cri- like uh criminals from around new york back when it was new the, york city yeah when it was the big rotten apple and also one of her one of the people she kills is like an arab sheik who picks her up yeah mm-hmm. and one scene in particular i remember is like she goes to what was it central park and like she's surrounded by yeah. this gang and you know just and you know very typical kind of 80s looking gang of uh yeah. people very there's background wearing kind of rung down clothes and like they and they advance on her on her and when she starts shooting like she kills a couple of them and the rest run off didn't she put herself into that position though i mean she yeah she used herself as bait yeah she went hunting yeah oh no she definitely drew them in to try uh, try to assault or rape her but and she and 
Yeah, I feel like that was, and that was like, I think halfway into the movie. So it's when she's already racked up a body count and she's starting to get a better, she's getting, she's getting good at it. She's earning her name, Ms. 45. (laughs) uh, Like the first, like uh, her first kills were people who, uh, you know, attacked her. And then as it goes on, she starts uh, luring men to kill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, it's sort of she it starts as reactive, but she turns it proactive by being like, well, I'm going to yeah. go hunting for these people then and, and seek them out and mm-hmm. kill them before anything happens, I guess. Exactly. And if you remember, the beginning of that movie actually starts with her walking to and from work. And when she's walking to and from work, all these men are catcalling mm-hmm. her and like trying to like have sex with her. So I think that is kind of like that scene that you were just talking about is mirroring the beginning of it. Right. I think this is a this is a good stopping point, I think. Can I have one more final thought? Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, I just wanted to say that because a lot of these rape revenge movies, people are always like they're so harmful to society. They're encouraging more rape. I personally don't find that these movies are like actually being damaging to society. What I think is more damaging is movies where specifically men are very blasé and being very rapey but it's treated like a normal thing Mm -hmm. for instance like maybe the breakfast club like constantly like goading women into dating them after they say no and no again like that kind of innocent writing of that in movies i think is worse than actually showing like graphic and disturbing rape scenes in movies Mm -hmm. i fully agree or even uh movies like super bad where uh yeah you know these moments where it's like oh well you guys just need more alcohol to loosen up you know or you know Mm -hmm. uh or oh she's drunk so you have to get drunk now because then it'll be cool where there's lines where it definitely blurs you know uh ability of consent and stuff like that i i agree i think those are far more harmful because again and and especially having this talk like i i went into this very against having uh extreme scenes you know depicted you guys remember our early talks where i was saying fuck miss 45 now i'm reconsidering Mm -hmm. thoughts on that movie but um these other movies are i feel much more damaging and they're also more uh consumed by the general public yeah Mm -hmm. exactly it normalizes that type of behavior, which is uh, not super helpful. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Let's continue this discussion over on Murmurs from the Morgue, um, where uh, it, it will post two days after this. So go there and uh, and listen to us. We, we, we're going to go into different genres than rape revenge. So it might not be as triggering there, but um, I'm sure we're still going to trigger somebody because this whole topic is kind of triggering. Um <laughs> Uh, our uh, theme song is by Restless Spirit, and our uh, artwork is by Chris Fisher. So that's where you find those guys. Um, Murmurs for the Morgue, you can find on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all over the place. Uh, Ion Horror, you can find Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all over the place. And you can find all five of us at iHorror.com. We'll see you in a couple days on Murmurs from the Morgue. Uh, so for me, James J. Edwards. I'm Jacob Davison. I'm Jonathan Korea. Ellie McNeely. Free Spielner. Keep your eye on horror. <laughs>